0: Uh, Tim, thank you. So yeah, good morning, church. It's it's good to be together again. You never get nervous for being up here. So just uh, bear with us. I wore my cappy because if you have air like mine, it wouldn't have been in order by the time I have to come up here. So I know you were looking at me because I was wearing a cappy in church. Even my husband said, it's not hot. I said, it's not for the heat. <laughs> it's for the air. So please, don't judge me. So yeah, as uh, we've already been introduced, especially for the visitors in the space this morning, our church has been on this journey of really exploring uh, women in the Bible, uh, our roles in the Bible, and then women in leadership in these roles, and more specifically, women as elders or pastors uh, in the Bible uh, in this age. And so um, this morning we have, I say brave, because we've got some of us who would be sharing our own journeys. Now, they all told me I'm, I'm, I'm doing this very unjustly because five minutes each is, you can't share your whole life journey with a, such a deep and contentious issue in five minutes, but let's hope they're obedient, you know. In, in this case, we'll call for us to be submissive. The book of Genesis is a narrative of diversity and inclusion and equality of roles. Um, Very early in the book of, of Genesis, you see the triune God active and at play. A God who, through the different roles within the Godhead, equal roles, Embrace and journey into creating humankind and all the diversity within humankind. And so, even the, 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 the creation narrative in terms of plants, fish, land, skies, there was never any purpose to be the same. But yet, there's always been the story throughout the Bible of being unified in diversity. And so when it comes to roles within the Godhead, none of us has ever contested that this God is one, have we? It's a God, triune God, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in this Godhead, yet we experience Him as one God. And then later on in the book of John, we see this Godhead play itself out again. When we now see the release of Jesus Christ after his death, after his resurrection, back up to heaven to be with the Father. And the Father saying, I will then send the Spirit. So these roles constantly throughout biblical history, throughout church history, through this person of God, our Father, God, our Mother in some cases, unified yet in diversity always these three roles, yet functioning in equality. And so this morning we, we'd like to just share from our hearts as women in ministry, all the women sitting up here have been involved in ministry in some sphere or the other. And so when we, when we engage with this topic of can we be elders as women, we engage with it through different lens. If you were at the last Wednesday session, you would be reminded that you cannot unpack the biblical text, and we cannot do this Christian life without taking our context and our story seriously. And so I've asked these, these ladies in front to, to share their lens. We all put on a lens, whether consciously or unconsciously. We all put on a lens when we view things, when we hear things, when we experience things. And so my lens, as a woman in ministry, You'd assume we all have the same lens, but no, we don't, because that's how we were created. And so we also perform varying roles within this church, but we also perform varying roles within society, and that's what church needs to be. And so it's from this perspective that we are going to share, after all the theory and the engaging with the Bible and going back to the Bible this week, what do women actually feel and experience when we speak about us in such ways? And so this is the core question I've asked these ladies. And you must kind of celebrate the youngest of us here, Georgia. Um, um, what, how, how do you? My question to them was plainly, how, how do you experience this conversation? How do you experience being in a church where you'll never be ordained as an elder if you feel called to be? That's, that's also important. Not all of us feel called, but I'll share my part later. Um, so firstly, let's just uh, quickly, uh, I think rather we won't introduce ourselves individually, and, and this is for the purpose of knowing but not knowing each other. Um, and then, of course, for the visitors, it's definitely knowing. I've asked the ladies to briefly share who they are and what they do in their day jobs, but then how long have they been a Christian? So I think let's start with that. Uh, Kirsten, and then just pass, pass the mic on, and then we'll go to question two. Okay. So you don't want me to stand up now? Yeah, yeah. Just who you are, and okay. how long you've been a Christian, and what do you do in your day job? Cause, and I'm saying day job for a reason. Woman, you would know what we mean.
1: <laughs> Hi, so um, my name is Kirsten, and i uh, I was going to say, I'm married to Rowan, but Rowan is married to me. (laughs) Um, I have three kids. I am, by day, a graphic designer, Um, but in between all of that is also a mom and a a courier and everything, and I've been a Christian since I was 10.
2: Sure, thank you. My name is Georgia. Oh, gosh, that's loud. Um, I've been a Christian for my whole life because I grew up in a Christian family, but I officially gave my life to God on the 13th of July, 2013. And I am a student, so I'm at school, so most of my time is spent studying. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: exam season. Yeah, thanks,
3: Jill. We've been instructed to do that. I don't really know if it does anything. (laughs) Uh, My name is Jill. I am a beloved daughter of our God in heaven, and I'm trying to remind myself that that is my most and only important identity. Um, Other things I do, I am a teacher at Rustenburg Girls High School, so some people are probably not enjoying sitting next to me. Um, (laughs) I have, I grew up in a a Christian family, Um, I can't remember ever not having any faith, but I officially committed my life to Jesus when I was about nine. I don't know if I really knew or understood what I was doing. So I think it's been more growth and a process of God working in my heart. Um, And it doesn't really matter the date that you were saved, only knowing that now I know I am.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: Those are the medical people there, so it must must come right. Um, I'm Candice, um, and I'm a I don't know. What does one say you are? I'm not sure. I'm a woman. Day job. Um, day d- job. A day job. <laughs> and a mother. And so I'm a, a researcher, a social science researcher for the infectious disease um, unit at Hurtiske Hospital. And I'm busy with a PhD. Um, and yeah, that's what I do in the morning. And then late afternoons, I'm a mother and a school runner. And evenings, can I say I'm a pastor's wife then? <laughs> How long have you been a Christian? Oh, um, so, I've been a Christian since uh, grade seven. I um, committed my life then, and like Joel just saying, you know, it, it just has come to mean God has come to mean so much more to me over time. Um, so, it's been a, a long maturing process. Yay!
0: Well, while Karen's doing that by show of hands who knew that's candace's day day job Uh uh-huh half of us i will get back to that
5: hi everybody i'm karen um i have i accepted jesus when i was um six years old and i got water baptized when i was nine and like joel was saying yes it has been you know it means different things to you at different stages in your life um And had an interesting journey as I went through my varsity days. So, Georgia will be here for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what I do for my work, I'm a researcher. I have a PhD in bioprocess engineering. Um, I'm also married to Tim, in case anybody didn't know. And we have two children, Zachary and Lydia. I'm also the youngest child of um, eight children. There's a very big age gap. um, And what people love to say is you are wise beyond your years, which I hated all the way while I was growing up because I felt this heavy responsibility to, you know, be this wise person. Um, But it has been a wonderful journey growing up in a very big family. Sure. Thank you so much,
0: uh, ladies. Yeah, I'm, I'm Chantal Weber. My day job is that I'm an academic. I'm a theologian, practical theologian um, at the University of Stellenbosch. Uh, I have been a Christian on my own for 24 years. I got saved at 16. So now you know how old I am. It's the year of 40, so I'm going to wing it. So, ladies, um, so the question I've posed to each of these ladies um, is to... How have, you, how have you experienced this conversation about women in elders? Uh, and how do you feel watching and living and being in a context where actually you've now discovered we do not ordain women? And I'm going to name specifically the lens that each of the ladies have been given, because then they're going to get to share, and I'm going to uh, sit back. So I've asked Kirsten to share from the perspective of being a married woman, I've asked Karen to, pers- uh, to share from the perspective of being a professional woman. I've asked Jill to share from the perspective of being a single woman. Candace to share from the perspective of being a pastor's wife. And that's, that's actually, you know, I don't want to make too much of, of one person on the panel, but that's why I asked how many of us know our pastor's wife is more than that, but she will share. And then Georgia, uh, to share from the perspective I will share later as a theologian. So thank you, Kirsten. Go for it.
1: Um, so you'll forgive me if I lose my place or look down. I'm not uh, very much an upfront kind of person. I prefer to be in the, in the back there <laughs> looking. Oh, great. That's awesome. Um. So my journey with the topic of women in leadership or eldership um, within the church, if I, if I really think about it, starts with my kids. Um, as I said, I've got three kids. I've got a 19-year-old son, I've got a 16-year-old daughter, and I've got a 6-year-old daughter. And um, at home, we've always encouraged our kids to speak openly. There's no topic that's taboo. We, we try and discuss everything openly and honestly um, and have a lot of laughs along the way. And w- one of these topics has naturally been women, um, especially with the fact that Georgia is, um, and I'm going to brag because I'm her mom, she's talented, she's competent, she's got leadership gifts um and she generally takes life by the horns so we've had heated dis- discussions about women in life in the past women at girls at school and um yeah so so it's it's a particularly uh, it's a topic that has kind of been consistent in our in our family but i think this my my experience around this topic came to a head when Sue and Anthony Ryan um, were asked to step down from the Common Ground Eldership because they hold to the belief that women can and should be elders. Um, and Sue and Anthony uh, are mentors, Jerome and I. We've known them since we were teenagers. So it was. All of a sudden, there was like a spotlight on this topic, and it was very real and very raw um, to me, and I I threw myself into um, reading historical and biblical literature, watching YouTube videos, trying to figure out what it was like for women in the past, what it's like uh, at present and going forward. And what God has to say about it, because it impacts me and my relationship with God, because I'm I'm a woman. Um, and I think also um, something else that that really stood out for me, or, or that kind of brought me to a crisis of belief, was um, during this time, Common Ground ran the Origin series, which is touches on creation and Adam and Eve and one Sunday morning we were sitting at home doing online church and and Georgia turns to me with um with tears in her eyes and she says to me mom does God love me just because I'm a woman or because I'm a helper and I was um I was floored and Rowan kind of looked at me across the room because he hadn't quite heard what she'd said, and I think it really touched me because this was something that all of a sudden she's grappling with, um, and I didn't expect that, and also because like that's the norm right that's how I grew up that's what I grew up believing that that I was a helper, so suddenly, yeah, it, it was another it was another thing that it just kind of spurred me into action, and, and it's really gripped me. Um, and I think just because I don't want to go on for too long, but all of, this, all of these little things kind of add up together. And I really believe and I feel convicted that, that I need to raise both of my daughters, believing wholeheartedly that they are worthy, that they are loved, just because they're women, just, just because they are female, and that they can, if they are called and if they are gifted, can serve in church at the highest level just because they're women. And also similarly with my son, um, I'm convinced that I need to continue to raise him and to model for him that women are equal, that they are worthy just because they are female, and that they can and should serve according to their gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit just because they're women.
0: That's it. Sure. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Karen? So being out there, playing such a lead role in society, helping us get a vaccination for our continent, what's your perspective, Karen?
5: I think I was the one that said five minutes is not fair. <laughs> because... Um, you know, it's not just the woman aspect, there's also, there's a cultural aspect for me as well, so growing up in an, in a family that is of Indian descent, there's there's a lot of layers there that come through as well, and yeah, so <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. Um, I'm wondering if when I introduced myself, you guys heard me say I'm a researcher, um, so you know, I don't like to um, to generalize, but in general, women are not very egotistical. You know, you don't typically have to state your um, – or feel necessary to state your importance. Um, but being a professional in a corporate world, be in a science and engineering environment, I soon learned that I have to state my importance. I have to state my education, um, put the title in there, or else you are not taken seriously. And that was a very hard thing that I had to learn in my career. So I'm not just a researcher. I am the technical director at Afrogen. I have been for three years. It's a, it's a smallish company we started about five years ago. And it's a biotechnology company. And um, so what does that mean to be the technical director? It means that I have an executive position on the board of directors. And I get to contribute to the strategy of the company and to make very big key decisions. Um, so recently, our company was um, we won the bid to host this um, WHO initiative, which is to be the global hub for mRNA vaccine technology tr- technology transfer and training. So that is quite a massive feat. <laughs> But, um, yeah, just to give another um, layer of perspective, um, when I led the team, um, we have 22 full-time employees. Um, and in my team, the technical team, 14 people that I um, oversee, and six of them are men. Many of them have PhDs as well. Um, and with the MRNA initiative, the budget that I have to oversee is about $900 million over five years. So that is hectic, <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, how do I do that? Um, I want to say that for me, um, it's it was quite an anomaly in my field to be um, guided and led by strong women. Um, it's quite unusual in in the science and engineering um, area, but I was very blessed to have that, um, and many many women like me don't have that. Um, so. In terms of um, my um, ministry in church, um, I grew up in a Christian home where our family was very um, involved in the church, every single one of us, Um, and I played in the worship team. I led worship probably from the time I was 15 years old. Um, I got to preach many times, and Tim and I have been with Common Ground for 12 years, Um, together. We've been deacons, we've led home groups and so forth. Um, The challenge that I faced was that the whole thing about women in leadership and women in eldership um, for me is that um, it was very subtle until a point. Um, So growing up, we kind of had this conditioning of you know what the role of a woman is, and that was just normal, as as Kirsten was saying. That was just our normal. Um, and like Kirsten, when Tim and I started raising Lydia as a daughter, we started having the conversations of what we what we tell her, what you know, what can she be, what can she do, and that for me sparked that very deep um, sort of. Searching to understand, to relearn what I had learned growing up, and to bring my work context into that into that scenario as well. Um, so it's so then to really start to think about it, and to think that you could only really have that strategic role in a church environment if you were coupled to a man, and that's quite a that's quite a hectic thing to be you know, to think about. Um, I'm going over my five minutes. But anyway, so... You so it's, conclude. yeah. conclude. <laughs> uh, and one of the other things is that, um, so for many years, I've coordinated the science and faith team, which made up of, um, of people both from Bosch and from M5. And naturally, we are researchers. And so when these conversations started to happen, many of us started to go to the literature, go to listen to other voices. And um, it's been amazing to to be on that journey, to hear other people's perspectives and to really have the light being shone in a little bit of a dark space. Sure. Thank you so much, Karen. Uh, You can give the mic to Jill. So much of the
0: conversation around uh, women in leadership and those of us currently who are... Going to eldership meetings are married women, and so Jo will share with us what her experience has been watching this as a single woman, not married.
3: So I took some notes, so I wouldn't go over five minutes, because I could, I could very easily do a five-day um, topic workshop on this. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so my question was, and I'm going to read it because I think it's important to say that first. So what has been your experience of being in a church that does not ordain women from, obviously, a perspective of a single woman? So it might—it really is just my experience of being single in the church in many ways. I grew up in a church, um, a Presbyterian church, and probably when my mom was in her 50s, so 20 years ago, she was an ordained elder, my mom and dad are married. My dad was at another church. She was an elder in her own right. So it was actually only when I came to Common Ground, I wasn't aware of that until I started being friends and hanging out with people like Chantal, who were in higher places. Did I realize that actually um, that wasn't the case, and that women couldn't be elders? Um, so I kind of need to explain my journey as being a single woman, and I'm going to start with where I am now, and. This is what I believe. And I don't know how many of you are single in the room, but a shout out to the singles um, and hear this as much as I'm saying it to myself. And I'm reading this part so I get it right. I believe as singles we have a unique purpose. If we can be content in our singleness, we can best show the sufficiency of the gospel that Jesus truly is enough. We can best live a life demonstrating total dependence on God alone for all things. Those who are married can find love, comfort, affirmation, security amongst other things in their spouse. But for those who are single, these things can be less certain or immediate. And this requires us to depend on God in a greater way for the fulfillment of these needs. So if we can get this right, if we can be content in our singleness, if we can learn to depend on God for all of these things, we can be a reminder to those around us that the right place of our hope and trust is in God alone. So here that single people, single women especially... Um, and it's taken me a long time to get to that space. I've probably only truly accepted that um, and my, my purpose as a single woman and the plan God has my life in the last couple of years, to be honest. And it has been a journey. I've had to grapple with God about this. I've had to deal with feelings of not being good enough, of feeling unlovable, of feeling sign blind, of feeling excluded. And sadly, um, the place that I have felt that the most has been in the church and that really is the one place I should have felt most loved and accepted and valued. And yet, it was the place I grappled the most. Um, and sadly, we live in a world that tells us that we will only be a mature, complete um, adult when we are married. People refer to their other halves or their better halves, and that subtly makes us feel incomplete. Um, and sadly, the church sometimes um, reinforces this. And the perception I have in a church like Common Ground, and I've said all of this to the elders there, so I'm not, I don't feel like I'm talking behind their back in any way. Um, but there are certain things that create this perception. Um, up front, it's often mentioned that people idolize marriage, but I think that is modeled to us from the front. Um, and there are many reasons for this. There are many sermons on marriage. I've heard one sermon in my 10 to 15 years at Common Ground on singleness, and that was about waiting marriage to have sex, and it was about um, singleness being a season. And the implication of that is that there is another season to come, which is marriage, which is better. Um, so the church actually seldom preaches on singleness, and they, I, I believe the church don't necessarily have a right understanding of singleness, and they don't have a theology of singleness. Um, so I hope that will change at some point. Um, yeah, the other thing is preachers often use examples. When they Preach naturally. People use examples, but they tend to use examples that are applicable to them, which is about being married and having children. Um, typically, common ground style. Then um, preachers introduce themselves it's in relation to their spouse. Um, often, there's a nice, sweet photograph and anecdotal story about what their two-year-old child said um, the day before. <laughs> um, and I know it's not intentional, and that's who they are, and that's part of their identity. And I get that. But they, it just—it's a subtle, it's a subtle feeling for those who don't have that—that that we're not quite there. We're not quite enough. Um, most equipping events are for couples, often: um, date nights, pre marriage course. Um, I've often asked if I could go on the pre-marriage course, but it, yeah, it wasn't allowed. Um, um, there's often a focus on women as, as mothers rather just than as women. And those are just some examples. They really I could I, as I said, I could do a, a day workshop on that. Um, but I think the problem is that this is perpetuated by the fact that women can't be ordained as elders. And in an attempt to include women in leadership spaces without ordaining them, churches have inadvertently made marriage a requirement to lead. And we know women can't be elders currently, um, so all women are excluded. But women who are married to elders have access to and can be part of those spaces, and they can speak into those spaces. They have a seat at the table. As a single woman, we don't. Um, And the result of that is that um, so many things, many... um, Single women, amazing single women, are excluded from that space. And again, that reinforces the marriage is better than singleness narrative. Um, Mostly men lead and preach, which means that we, and amazing men, and I'm not saying anything negative about that, um, but naturally you're going to hear it from one perspective. Um, Occasionally we are fortunate enough to hear the elders' wives preach, and that is amazing. But again, it's from a specific specific perspective. Um, And I think it's important that elders in the church are diverse. We all want people in front of us leading us that are like us we want to hear from people that have similar life experiences to us and as women in the church we have seldom had that Um, but occasionally when the elders wives got to preach um, but as a single woman I have never had that until this year in M5 and I think the other thing that I want to end with is just that the people who've had the greatest impact on my faith journey have been women, mostly single women. And they've been women I've met in spaces that I've had to step out into. And I am an introvert. I don't like speaking in public. I'm not a comfortable, you know, small group person. It took a long time for that to be a comfortable space for me. Um, but it was only in God pushing me out of my comfortable chair into those spaces that I meet those women. And they had an amazing impact in my life, stepping into ministry spaces like doing Breaking Ground. And that's it's wonderful. But my question is how much of my grapple with singleness would have been different if I had maybe met those people earlier, if they had been upfront leading, if those single women or those married women who have been in those ministry spaces were ordained as as elders. Um, And I think, yeah, I think that's that's the question I have. Um, And I think what I love about this church is that it is a diverse church. It's diverse in terms of women, age, race, gender, everything, um, marital status. And I think that's what I love about it, and I love the fact that I can come here and hear a man preach, I can hear a woman preach, I can hear a single woman preach, I can hear a divorced woman preach, I can hear all of the above. Um, and I, I love that about this church, and I just pray that we will continue to do that, and we'll continue to have these conversations as well.
0: Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. Jill? Candice? too far, and I need
4: this. Um, So, I've been asked to share from the perspective of a a pastor's wife. Um, So, Stephen, I've been in ministry for 21 years now, um, and all throughout the 21 years, I've always been um, in a position of of working, either part-time when the kids were smaller or in in full-time capacities. And I was 24 when we first joined our our first church, and four months into joining, um, I suddenly became the pastor's wife and I honestly remember very distinctly an evening service where the magnitude dawned on me of the hugeness of this the unspoken um, norms and expectations that that there would be all of a sudden people want to spend time with you they they listen to what you're saying and I just felt completely ill-equipped for 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 the role and um, I mean I'd been a Christian for many years, but I wasn't mature enough to be kind of leading in that space. And so I quickly went on to a, a journey to find out the journal for being a pastor's wife because there seems to be expectations, but you don't really know what they are. And I um, I spoke to our senior pastor's wife, and <laughs> I asked her so many questions. And to each question, she just looked at me and she went, mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm like, what are you doing this? Mm. And I think in time, I've realized that she actually didn't get it either at the, t- at the time. So, so there is no manual. And it's really been, um, it's, been quite a, it's been quite a journey to, to understand what that role is and, and to kind of live in it. But years later, um, and through a lot of support of Steve, um, particularly, I've come to a place where, where I serve um, because I love Jesus and because I love people and not because I fit into a specific box. Um, so Stephen, I've served in many churches which have had many different eldership structures. We've had men-only teams where women weren't involved. We've had teams where women were elders and men were elders and where their spouses were excluded from that space. And then, of course, there was common ground where the men were elders, but the, the women were very much included in, um, in, in the process and, and in being part of um, kind of the, the leadership process. Um, but I must say about myself is that I've, I've always believed that for each of us, God gives us like something in our hands that that He He journeys with us to develop. And that can be in the workplace or in ministry. I've never, I've never felt that one is more important than the other. And so there's always been a blurring for me between the sacred and the secular. You know, some of us are called to the workspace and other, others of us are called to, full, um, to serve full-time in ministry. And it was very difficult to come to that place where, of realizing for myself, and I felt really guilty about it. That I personally didn't feel called to full-time ministry, and, and there were times when people said, "Like, aren't you going to, you know, leave your job and, you know, come into ministry full-time?" And thank goodness, Steve was always there to to support that process. And so, it's about us knowing what God has called us to do and what tool He is developing, and applying that um, to to the place where we find it, where we find ourselves, and. So my comfortable serving space has been in church, and and this is a place where I serve. Um, I I haven't I have led spaces, but I don't necessarily feel called to lead in in the church space because I find that expression, and it's not that it's different at work, but that's just where I've I've found a natural um sort of expression of of what God has, God has put in my hand, and especially in terms of leading, um, and so. It's, I just wanted to share some of the sort of observations that I've had being an elder's wife um, on our common ground team. And I think that, that observations are good because there's, you know, we're all still busy processing and trying to make sense of of, of, of this. And so this is just really a part of my, my thinking. Um, so being on the, the team um, required a lot of participation and engagement from from the wives, from the women. We were never left out of any meetings. Um, we were invited to contribute and really to scrum in, in, you know, in, in different discussions. Um, the elders' wives were called to lead in specific spaces. So that was – I never felt like we were um, kind of sidelined. And um, There were areas such, such as, as finance and um, – uh, what is it, the other one um, – uh, it, it re- resulted to, uh, related to doctrine that was mostly re- reserved for the men but more than that we were included but the issue that I had was that that space of woman contribution was reserved for wives and I've, I've always had a problem with that It was so my qualification to be on a team that I didn't necessarily feel called to I didn't feel, feel like I've ever been called to eldership my qualification th- came through being married to Steve. And I must say that the demographic of women on the team was very similar and did represent a, a portion of the common ground congregation. But even as a woman employed full time, I did find myself on, on the outskirts of that. And so, really, what frustrated me often was that the lens in which we led was through the lens of who was represented in the room. And there were so many voices and so many, um, I would say, facets of our congregation that that couldn't find expression in this space. So for example, and Jill I just loved what you said because I, I really felt that. So, you know, where were the voices of the single woman? Where were the voices of the divorced woman? And often the voices would come but they would be filtered through the experiences of those who were sitting on the team and then and then there was there's a refraction of that, that experience. It gets watered down and, and not because there's a bad intention, that was just the way that it that it was. And so I really felt like there was, I felt frustrated because I thought there was, we, we're not actually representing the fullness of our community. And also, there were so many strong leaders, and there's so many strong leaders even in this context of, of women that should be in that space, women who have got the gift of leadership, who should be elders in, in, in the context and who could really lead strong. And so it was only really when we, st- we started looking at this document that I, it came on me like a, like a weight, and I think the, personally the battle has gone far beyond whether women should be elders, but it's how women are seen and experienced in society. And when I look at my daughter, I don't want her to feel like she's second rate to, to her brother, you know, because God, God puts equal favor and value on, on His daughters and His sons. And so for me, it's much, much bigger. I think this is a, a starting place, but it's, it's so much bigger because we're wanting to hear necessarily married to men and that's just how it's been but I'm so excited to be on this journey and I really think it's an important one thank you thank you so much Candice so you heard Kirsten speak about
0: the moment in their family where uh, the woman's identifier was only as helper or seen as only as helper Georgia's going to pick up on her experience of that day um, to land us
2: Gosh, okay, so I feel just as nervous as I did yesterday when we lost by one point to the English. So everyone just bear with me, please, if I have to look at my notes. As my father says, fake it till you make it. So let's do this. Um, So as a child, I never really thought about, you know, the issues concerning men and women in the church. And I think that's just because we never spoke about those heavy topics. You know, we, we, we spoke about creation and, and Moses and Noah, but we never went in, into the finer detail, you know, so it's never something that I, I, I looked at, um, and at the same time, my parents had raised me to believe that everyone should be treated with the same respect and love and value no matter who you are, so it never occurred to me to sit down with myself and, and think, what, what's my stance on this, because it, it was just a given, I just assumed that everybody thought the same thing, But one morning last year, we were watching online church and it was the origin series. So they were preaching on Genesis and they were talking about the magnificent creation of Adam and and how he was made in God's image. And then we got to the women. Women were made as suitable helpers to men they were made to serve their husbands. And somehow this service put them at the bottom of the hierarchy. And my heart just dropped. Because all my life, my parents had told me that God loved me unconditionally. And I'm pretty sure every parent here tells their children the same thing. That there is nothing you can do to make God love you less, right? But now all of a sudden, there were terms and conditions to his love. Georgia, he loves you but just not as much as your brother. He has hopes for you, Georgia, but just not as much as your brother. And I thought, what? And it made me angry because apparently the value and purpose of women in God's eyes could be covered in just a 45-minute speech. And that was it. There were no discussions. No one had any say in it. and, And I was just supposed to believe that that was it. That was all God had in store for me. All all this confidence that God had given me, the the ability to lead, that I thought would one day take me to grow his kingdom, use those talents, that was just supposed to be for nothing. And it's it's ironic, I find, because the church brings up boys and girls together from a young age. My sister's out there with a whole bunch of boys. She partakes in the same conversations, hears the same stories. And what I was being told is that at some point we split. Men, you go beyond the line, but women... Sorry. This line, this is as far as you go. This is as far as your purpose and your potential gets you. And I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And God had always been a refuge for me, he'd always been a place of peace, a place different from any other place in the world where I felt like I wasn't judged for what I wore, for what I looked like, but by my heart. And, and now every time I prayed or, or, or I, I heard a speech or a devotion, I had this voice going in the back of my head, you're not as important. It, it really took me down. And I, and I had all these questions. And as my mother said, does God love me in my own right? Just Just me. If, if I didn't get married one day, would I still be as important, as valuable to him? And, and then there was this parallel to what I was hearing at school because it was the exact opposite. Everyone was so enthusiastic about, about women empowerment and removing the patriarchy and, and more importantly, having those conversations that, that we are having now. And, and that was so different to what I was hearing at church. And so now I had these two sides. One, where I wasn't that important or at least as important as I thought I was and what importance I did have was revolving around a man and the other side I had my own value and my own purpose and equality and and I felt almost betrayed because the person that I gave my life to God the person that I put all my faith and trust in he didn't love me as much as I thought he did So now I had these two sides and I had to choose. But I thought, why can't, why can't I have both? And I made my decision that women are as important as men because I simply cannot live my life with my sister, with with my mother, with all these women around me who are so passionate and driven and believe that purely because they were born a woman and not a man, something that is out of their control that they are any less that god has given them any less value than a man and that is why i've made my decision thank you sure
0: thank you so much georgia and to the ladies i mean yeah just to connect to some snippets uh, so in uh, psychologists teach us that there's something called classical conditioning and there's something called social conditioning classical conditioning we condition people into a certain mold by the intentional, structured ways of living, education, uh, rules, uh, guidelines. That's, that's classical conditioning. We become certain types of people based on the, the rules and the, the things we taught and the environments which in they are guidelines put in place for us. And that then governs who we become, how we become. And then there's social conditioning. Social conditioning speaks to those things you learn in the spaces you live and move in without nobody ever naming them to you. And so one of the the, the things that we learn as women growing up in churches that do not represent us is that that's the norm. And so you just accept it, dependent on the type of family and upbringing you have, dependent on the type of school you go to. And the other spaces. So uh, social conditioning makes us think that some things are normal when nobody's ever challenged that normality. And so this has been my experience growing up in a very conservative evangelical family who started the church that I was part of. I ended up at the Bible college that the church um, trained its theologians or, or pastors in. And women, we went to Bible college We knew from the word go, you're going to Bible college because you are interested in children's ministry. You are interested in becoming a missionary. And so, that was kind of normal before I got there. And so, when I got to Bible college and I was the only woman in a class of men, I didn't challenge it. I felt uneasy. I felt like yo, but you don't challenge it because social conditioning within the context and denomination I was a part of, of which my family is entrenched in still. You never, you didn't challenge. You just get with it and go on. And so things like homiletics, learning how to preach, figures of speech, public speaking, things like Greek and Hebrew, unpacking the text and the biblical languages so that you can understand the text, uh, things like the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I was taught all those things in a classroom of men, and that was Just how I experienced it as, well, sure, this is cool. I didn't realize this is what church was about. But my marker was, I'm here because I'm going to work with children and youth one day. And so that then led me to postgrad studies and eventually a PhD. And while doing my master's, yeah, that was shaken totally because I did a clinical pastoral care master's degree where I worked with psychologists, psychiatrists, and theologians. And I did practicals within the spaces of psychiatry, the queer school theology, and then also different social spaces. And that year really shook me in a big way because Sue and I were the only two conservative evangelical women in that class with the rest. We were equally men and women in terms of number. But that year we were challenged on so many issues around identity, around uh, sexuality, uh, around our our lens on the Bible. And that was the first innings where Sue and I started really wrestling with this tension of always being in transition, like Georgia described. I have to be one thing in the church and another thing wherever else I am. Um, but then, of course, going to the Faculty of Theology at the University of Stellenbosch, which is home to the Reformed tradition, who i have been ordained in the Reformed tradition for many, many years and so I was constantly, verbally, mocked for belonging to a church that does not ordain women. How can you say you are a theologian and how can you teach young theologians when you hold to a tradition where women are oppressed? To the point where I was invited to UCT one year. To go and speak around the Bible as biblical text of oppression to human, and of course preparing for these things, you just realize the the tension and the pull and the non-alignment to what you be and are every day in the academic space and what's happening. And so, honestly, that was it was always there as what we call social condition. That's why that's that's the best way to name how I allowed such narratives to dictate who I am and am seen and how other women are seen until you, you come into a space where that's not normal anymore. And it was always not normal, but nobody around you said so because we all believed in that abnormal. And and that then, yeah, caused me to really go and dig deep around how I see the Bible. Is the human a text of slavery? Is the human a text of rape? Blah 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 blah. Because I had to present the paper on that. It was given to me. And then there was many other instances. I get to preach in so many different types of churches. On Tuesday, I preached in the Anglican church. This Wednesday coming, I'm preaching in the Methodist church. So. I remember the very first day when I was even asked because the the theological college I came from didn't even allow us to preach. You preached at women's meeting and you did children's ministry. So even when I was a youth pastor, I was the first female youth pastor in the denomination because you're teaching young men, 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds. So that was also contested. I had the full training, but no, 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 you're not going to mold these men. So that was a journey of its own, which I won't share today. But then I remember going to Brandon when I was first asked to preach many years ago. And I said, sure, am I really going to go against what God teaches to to preach? Like, am I sinning by going to the pulpit, which I knew was for men? And I remember that as if, as if it was yesterday and then the next time and the next. And Brandon was like, no, that's ridiculous. Just go. That church is fine with it. Just go. Like, and, and it eventually became a norm for me now to go and preach into those spaces. But that wrestling of, and I, and I hear it with all of us, that wrestling of how God sees me because of how men treat me is a reality for women. We impose our image of God based on what we've lived in and allowed in our spaces. And that—that that is what has made me stand up even more confidently in different spaces today. Because it is a form of spiritual abuse in my mind. When a human feels that God does not love her equally, then, then we need to draw the line. When a human feels that I'm made in the image of God, but not this part. You know, that I see that all the time in my classroom, in my counseling space when I practice. Women really feel like God does not see me equally. And that's a reality. I'm sure Renee could share that too. So so terms like God as Father is foreign for some women. Because God as Father represents the Father who oppresses me. So those terms have even been contested within the extreme feminist spaces. And so I hope that hearing from all these women and the journeys we've been on allow you a bit into their lives and their journeys, but I hope you found some form of connection in terms of how you've experienced the journey with different people in your sphere and what God is calling you to do after today. We have asked Brandon to as a man, listen to us this morning, he, was not, he wasn't prepared with any script or whatever, just listen to us, and now tell us, as a man who've had the privilege because of just being a man, um, can you just tell us, I asked him specifically as a man, what you felt, not a lecture, what you felt when you heard what we were saying.
6: Okay, no pressure. (laughs) Um, I like the rawness and the realness of what happened here this morning. I'm sure if this mic was passed to every single woman here today, we would hear something slightly different. And one thing Karen made mention of our science and faith team, one thing that our engagement with that team has caused me to value is that perspectives help us to fully understand a complex reality. And so this morning, hearing hearing all these perspectives, I want to say thank you so, so much. I can't say that I have it all pat. Um, I think it's Rowan who said, that at times, when we discuss certain issues, we find ourselves thrown a bit. So if you are in that place of, what did I just listen to? This is not normal for a church. Um, I want to encourage us, as Rowan did, just value that, value being in that space. That space of disequilibrium that space of not just following because this is the way we do it, but when someone comes and disrupts, as has happened this morning, just value being in that space and and rely on the Holy Spirit to then direct us and move us. If I read my Bible, I see in Genesis 1 that... um, in the image of God, he created them. Well, well, male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them both. If I then fast forward to the life of Jesus Christ, I always get like Jesus was, was God in human form. When people were just following what the, what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were telling them to do, what did he do? He came into the temple and he threw those tables. He overturned the tables. That's not the meek and mild Jesus that maybe we've been told that we serve. There was disequilibrium there. And Jesus pointed to a new humanity. A new experience as God's people. And that at M5, I don't have all the answers. Jill, you really like challenge me because I do I do I do share a lot of examples about my married life and then in that moment I may I may forget you and people like you are sitting here Um, when Georgia spoke wow I really felt she spoke so passionately as a young woman and then when you said that it may it makes you wonder if God loves you like wow is that really what i 've been a part of, and so, as men, we need to own up to the fact that as we sit here we 've been living we 've been living in our privilege and and when when you live in your privilege you don 't you know a fish doesn 't know it 's wet because that 's where it lives, but now we 've been shaken a bit, and we look around us and And we look into the Word, always being led by the Word of God. And I see Jesus being so radically inclusive. And I go to the Apostle Paul, who wrote more than half of the New Testament, and he says, And to us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. But we accept the eyes that Jesus now gives us, the eyes of the new humanity, the new community. My hope and prayer for this community, for M5, is that we are an alternate expression of the kingdom of God that doesn't just follow by rote because of what's always happened. But we go to the word, we discern through the power of the Holy Spirit, we look around ourselves and we see what it means to be a faithful people to our Father in our context. Whether it comes to race, socioeconomic standing class, whether it comes to gender, we want to be those people who are authentically the people of God. And so with that, I want to thank you ladies for Yeah, I've got lots to think about. I don't have the answers. I don't. But I do know on this issue, I am firmly on on the other side of the church that says women cannot be elders. I'm firmly there because I believe the Holy Spirit of God leads me there. And so with that, I'd like to hand over to Steve. Thank you so much.
7: Um let's stand. We're going to close. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Maybe just have this moment before I close in prayer. Just um have a moment with the Lord. That what was shared today, maybe it was one person that said something. Maybe it's part of your journey. Maybe the shaking that you're experiencing. Um, Maybe it's something that you've experienced as a lady. Uh, Let's just allow the Spirit to minister to us. And so what's that one thing that's in your heart right now from this time this morning? Won't you articulate that to the Lord? Offer it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Um, Allow Him to come bring ministry. Allow Him to come... Um, bring reconciliation. Bring a, the the beginning of healing. Um, you know, what is it? Just le- let's let's just allow the spirit to to minister and to move. And the the the, the brave woman that got up here and shared and uh, the vulnerability and uh, uh, re- probably echoes and represents many of the women standing this morning. Um,